This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Soul of the Great Bell by Lefcadio Hearn The water clock marks the hour in the Da Zhong Si, in the tower of the great bell. Now the mallet is lifted to smite the lips of the metal monster. The vase ups inscribed with Buddhist texts from the sacred Fa Hua King, from the chapters of the holy Ling Yan King. Hear the great bell responding. How mighty her voice, though tongueless. Ko Ngai! All the little dragons on the high tilted eaves of the green roofs shiver to the tips of the gilded tails under that deep wave of sound. All the porcelain gargoyles tremble on the carven perches. All the hundred little bells of the pecoders quiver with desire to speak. Kongai. All the green and gold tiles of the temple are vibrating. The wooden goldfish above them are writhing against the sky. The uplifted finger of foe shakes high over the heads of the worshippers through the blue fog of incense. Kongai. What a thunder tone was that! All the lacquered goblins on the palace cornices wriggle their fire-colored tongues. And after each huge shock, how wondrous the multiple echo and the great golden mongen at last, the sudden sibilant sobbing in the ears when the immense tongue faints away in the broken whispers of silver, as though a woman should whisper, Hiai. Even so, the great bell bath sounded every day for well nigh five hundred years. Kongai. First with stupendous clang, then with immeasurable moan of gold, then with silver murmuring of Hiai. And there is not a child in all the many-colored ways of the old Chinese city who does not know the story of the great bell, who cannot tell you why the great bell says, Ko Ngai and Hiai. Now this is the story of the great bell in the Da Zhong Si, as the same is related in the Pi Hao To Zhong. Written by the learned Yu Pao Zhan of the city of Guangzhou Fu. Nearly five hundred years ago, the celestially August, the Son of Heaven, Yong Lo, of the illustrious or Meng dynasty, commanded the worthy official Kuang Yu that he should have a bell made of such size that the sound thereof might be heard for one hundred li. And he further ordained 
that the voice of the bell should be strengthened with brass and deepened with gold and sweetened with silver, and that the face and the great lips of it should be graven with blessed sayings from the sacred books, and that it should be suspended in the centre of the imperial capital to sound through all the many-coloured ways of the city of Peking. Therefore, the worthy Mandarin Kuang Yu assembled the master molders and the renowned bellsmiths of the empire, and all men of great repute and cunning in foundry work, and they measured the materials for the alloy, and treated them skilfully, and prepared the molds, the lives, the instruments, and the monstrous melting pot for fusing the metal. And they laboured exceedingly, like giants, neglected only rest and sleep, and the comforts of life, toiling both night and day, in obedience to Kuang Yu, and striving in all things to do the behest of the Son of Heaven. But when the metal had been cast, and the earthen mould separated from the glowing casting, it was discovered. That despite the great labor and ceaseless care, the result was void of worth, for the metals had rebelled one against the other. The gold had scorned alliance with the brass; the silver would not mingle with the molten iron. Therefore, the molds had to be once more prepared, and the fires rekindled, and the metal remelted, and all the work tediously. And toilsomely repeated. The son of heaven heard and was angry, but spake nothing. A second time the bell was cast, and the result was even worse. Still the metals obstinately refused to blend one with the other, and there was no uniformity in the bell, and the sides of it were cracked and fissured. And the lips of it were slagged and split asunder, so that all the labor had to be repeated even a third time, to the great dismay of Kuang Yu. And when the son of heaven heard these things, he was angrier than before, and sent his messenger to Kuang Yu with a letter, written upon lemon-colored silk, and sealed. With the seal of the dragon, containing these words: From the mighty Yong Lo, the sublime Tao Song, the celestial and august, whose reign is called Ming. To Kuang Yu, the Fu Yin. Twice thou hast betrayed the trust we have deigned graciously to place in thee. If thou fail a third time in fulfilling our command, thy head shall be severed from thy neck. Tremble, and obey. Now Kuang Yu had a daughter of dazzling loveliness, whose name, Kou Ngai, was ever in the mouths of poets, and whose heart was even more beautiful than her face. Kou Ai loved her father with such love 
that she had refused a hundred worthy suitors rather than make his home desolate by her absence. And when she had seen the awful yellow missive, sealed with the dragon seal, Sire fainted away with fear for her father's sake. And when her senses and her strength returned to her, she could not rest or sleep for thinking of her parents' danger, until she had secretly sold some of her jewels, and with the money so obtained had hastened to an astrologer, and paid him a great price to advise her by what means her father might be saved from the peril impending over him. So the astrologer made observations of the heavens, and marked the aspect of the silver stream, which we call the Milky Way, and examined the signs of the zodiac, the Huang Tao, or Yellow Road, and consulted the table of the Five Hin, or Principles of the Universe, and the mystical books of the alchemists. And after a long silence, he made answer to her, saying, Gold and brass will never meet in wedlock. Silver and iron never will embrace until the flesh of a maiden be incited in the crucible, until the blood of a virgin be mixed with the metals in the fusion. So Kongai returned home sorrowful at heart, but she kept secret all that she had heard and told no one what she had done. At last came the awful day when the third and last effort to cast the great bell was to be made, and Kong Ai, together with her waiting woman, accompanied her father to the foundry, and they took the places upon a platform overlooking the toiling of the molders and the lava of liquefied metal. All the workmen rocked the tasks in silence. There was no sound heard but the muttering of the fires, and the muttering deepened into a roar, like the roar of typhoons approaching. And the blood-red lake of metal slowly brightened like the vermilion of a sunrise, and the vermilion was transmuted into a radiant glow of gold, and the gold whitened blindingly like the silver face of a full moon. Then the workers ceased to feed the raving flame, and all fixed through eyes upon the eyes of Kuang Yu. And Kuang Yu prepared to give the signal to cast. But ere ever he lifted his finger, a cry caused him to turn his head, and all heard the voice of Kong Ai sounding sharply sweet as a bird's song above the great thunder of the fires. For thy sake, O my father! And even as she cried, she leaped into the white flood of metal, and the lava of the furnace roared to receive her, and spattered monstrous flakes of flame to the roof, and burst over the verge of the earthen crater, and cast up a whirling fountain of many-colored fires, 
and subsided quakingly with lightnings and with thunders and with mutterings. Then the father of Kongai, wild with his grief, would have leaped in after her. But that strong man held him back and kept firm grasp upon him until he had fainted away and they could bear him like one dead to his home. And the serving woman of Kongai, dizzy and speechless for pain, stood before the furnace still holding in her hands a shoe, a tiny dainty shoe with embroidery of pearls and flowers, the shoe of her beautiful mistress that was. For she had sought to grasp Kongai by the foot as she leaped, but had only been able to clutch the shoe, and the pretty shoe came off in her hand, and she continued to stare at it like one gone mad. But in spite of all these things, the command of the celestial and august had to be obeyed, and the work of the motors to be finished, hopeless as the result might be. Yet the glow of the metal seemed purer and whiter than before, and there was no sign of the beautiful body that had been entombed therein. So the ponderous casting was made, and lo, when the metal had become cool, it was found that the bell was beautiful to look upon, and perfect in form, and wonderful in color above all other bells. Nor was there any trace found of the body of Kongai, for it had been totally absorbed by the precious alloy, and blended with the well-blended brass and gold, with the intermingling of the silver and the iron. And when they sounded the bell, its tones were found to be deeper and mellower and mightier than the tones of any other bell, reaching even beyond the distance of one hundred li, like a pealing of summer thunder, and yet also like some vast voice uttering a name, a woman's name, the name of Kongai. And still, between each mighty stroke, there is a long, low moaning heard. And ever the moaning ends with the sound of sobbing and of complaining, as through a weeping woman should murmur, Hiai. And still, when the people hear that great golden moan, they keep silence. But when the sharp, sweet shuddering comes in the air, and the sobbing of Hiai, then, indeed, do all the Chinese mothers in all the many-colored ways of Peking whisper to their little ones, Listen, that is Kong Ai crying for her shoe. That is Kong Ai calling for her shoe. End of The Soul of the Great Bell by Lefkadio Hearn